Once upon a time, children's books were about princesses who were beautiful and frail and needed rescuing, and princes who were strong and protective and tasked with saving their women. Well, actually, their girls. But times have changed, and we will talk about why and how they have changed in just a minute. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. I'm happy to introduce author Libby Babbitt-Klein, who has written a wonderful gem of a book entitled Baby Feminists. It's a lift the flap book. I'm going to ask her what that means in a minute. But Libby has a really interesting background. Libby is a producer and creative director, and she focuses on activism and political content. She ran the video department for Al Gore's Alliance for Climate Protection, and for over a decade, Libby has been creating content that is rooted in social change and environment. Libby Babbitt Klein, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be talking about my book and these political times. Well, let me ask you about your book. Um, it's described as a lift the flap book. I know what that means because I've had the privilege of reading the book, but tell the listeners what that means if they don't know. Of course. So our book when you is a board book, meaning that the pages are thick and perfect for little baby and toddler fingers. And so when you first you open the book and the page has a little flap on it, it's like an extra piece of paper. Um, so our book um, is called Baby Feminists, and when you lift the flap, it transforms the adult feminists into babies. And I got to tell you, the first baby, Ruth Bader Ginsburg baby, Mm-hmm. She's the cutest thing in the whole world. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we were really, one of the things that we found with our own children is that they love these types of flat books. They love the the tactile nature, and they love finding something underneath the flap. And so when we started working, when we when we came up with this concept and we began talking about Ruth, she has these very iconic glasses, and she also has a part of her judicial robe that, to a child, looks quite a bit like a bib. And so with our flaps, we made it so that the eyes in her glasses and that part of her judicial robe are actually holes in the flap. So when you lift it, they become elements of the baby. It it really is a delightful book. But let me ask you this. Baby Mm -hmm. Feminist, that's the name of the book. Yes. What age group is this for? Well, we think it is really for the youngest children, so zero to three. Well, isn't that kind of young to talk to somebody about feminism? So we don't believe that it's ever too early to start talking about feminism and to start teaching our children what role models and and about the fights that have come before. But also, we really made it with the idea that, first and foremost, it's fun for kids. So... There are these adult feminists um, at the front of the flap, and when you lift it, they turn into babies. And I think the first thing we wanted was something that children could interact with. And the feminists in our book, they have a whole range of different accomplishments, and they really are from a diverse background. So the first thing we wanted was to show children that books are about people that have all different types of skin tones. So many books for children don't show that. And I don't think it's ever too early to start talking about 
to start demonstrating that books are about all different kinds of people. And I think, no, it's, it's not too early to be instilling in our children that little girls ha- are as valuable as little boys, that little boys have the right to be as sensitive as little girls. You say that um, your book is about resistance. It's about fighting. Mm. So before I ask you about that, let's figure Mm -hmm. out what exactly it is you mean when you refer to a feminist. Of course. So for me, the definition of feminism is really very straightforward. It's a person who believes in equality for men and women, a person who believes that regardless of gender, we all have, we all should have the same opportunities and that we all have, that our talents are based on our individual um, affinities and abilities, but that that is not defined by our gender. Okay. We've got the, the definition clear. So let's talk mm-hmm. about how this is, this book for babies, mm-hmm. is a book about resistance and a book about fighting and a book about beating the odds. Sure. So um, our book includes, each page has a real person from history. And we tried to make that a mix of known figures like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and some figures that I think fewer people know, like Mae Jemison, who was the first woman of color in space. And each of these characters, each of these, these people, um, really have beat the odds. When Mae Jemison was a little girl, the only people that had ever been in space were white men. And Mae Jemison said, I'm going to do that too. And was told at many points in her life, no, you can't do that. That's not for someone like you. And then she did it. Similarly, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when she was a little girl, when she was a baby, no one was telling her, when you grow up, you can be a Supreme Court justice. But she did, and she has made our world a fairer and better place for all of us. So I think the, the message for the youngest children is look at all these different types of people and look at what they've done. But we hope that it's a book that children and their caregivers will come back to and begin to tell the stories of these, these important historical figures and revisit them and tell them in age-appropriate ways as children age, but that they'll always be names and figures that the, that the children will know and be curious to learn more about. You continue to, as when you talk about your book, you continue mm-hmm. to refer to we and our. So tell us yes. a little bit about the other part of the team. Of course, yes. So Jessica Walker is the illustrator of, of this book, and from the beginning it has been such a wonderful collaboration. Um, we both are... We were both our mothers. We both had our first children within a few months of each other and actually knew each other even when we were pregnant. So it was really, um, you know, I had, my daughter was born, and I had a sense that I wanted to create a book that could speak to my values and my political, and these political times, but that she would love. And Jess is an artist. And so very early in the process, I said, Jess, I have a concept for this book, um, you know, do you have any thoughts about it? And she said, thoughts? I want to illustrate this book. <laughs> and <laughs> so the concept, it really, from, from, the, from when it was a seed of an idea, Jess and I have worked together, and we would stay up late. We would, we would put our kids to bed, and at the time we lived, you know, a short walk from each other. So we'd work kind of from 9 p.m. to midnight, thinking of who would be in the book and what would the illustrations be and how would the flaps work. So nothing in this, everything she has touched, and, and it's been Part of it is I don't think it would not have been possible without a teammate like her. 
clearly a team effort. It has been. There's a man in this book who many people mm-hmm. will recognize. He is yes. the only man in the book. Um, tell us about having a man in a book about fem- feminism and who the man is. Yes, of course. So the man is Barack Obama, and he shares a page with his wife, Michelle Obama. And for both of us, we felt very strongly about including a man in a book about feminism. We felt that in the same way that we don't maintain the patriarchy without the support of women, we're not going to smash it without the support of men. Men and women live together on the same planet, and we, we need to be on the same team. However, that said, we're mostly interested in featuring women, so that's why there's only one man. Um, but we loved, we chose Barack Obama specifically because we wanted someone current, we wanted someone well-known, we wanted someone who's publicly identified himself as a feminist, and Barack Obama wrote an extensive um, interview piece that he calls himself a feminist. And we wanted someone then who not just has said it, but whose actions have supported women in feminism. And then we loved the idea that Barack gets into the book because of his own accomplishments, but also because of he's on that page with Michelle. And women are so often, they so often get recognition through their spouses. So we loved that, that Barack's feminist work is so connected to his wife. And we thought he, he, never, he wouldn't have made the cut without her, and we liked how subversive that was. <laughs> that is pretty subversive, even in today's yeah, times. It is. Or maybe especially in today's times. That's right. H- how do you want parents to, to use this book? Yes, I think that's a great question. Um, to begin with, I think reading to our children every night or, or every day is a wonderful way to connect with our children and to instill an early love of reading with them. So first, it's just sitting and reading with them. And I hope in our home, my child says, Mommy, I want the Femi book. I want the Femi book. And Jess's son, similarly. So I hope it's a book that, first and foremost, parents are able to play with their children. And the layout of the book on, on each side of the page, it says about the feminists before they did whatever they did. So it's for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it says before she wrote to the Supreme Court, and then the children, and then there's a dot, dot, dot. And in that moment is a moment that children are able to answer and say, she was a baby. And my child, she loves that part. And so I hope that the way that parents will engage with their children is by letting their children interact and answer and be part of the storytelling process. Libby Babbitt-Klein, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will continue with the author of baby feminists and see what she thinks about how to impart confidence to children, to kids in particular, small children. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back. Libby, in, in large measure, your your book undertakes to do some pretty big things. And I'm wondering how you think we go about really celebrating and promoting and empowering our, our girls while at the same time giving our men perhaps a more livable, humane definition for manhood. How do we teach our boys that? How do we teach our girls that? So I think for both our bur- our girls and our boys, we we teach them that role models can be men and women, and that 
role models can be people from um, all different all different backgrounds, um, all different racial backgrounds in particular. So I think it starts there, and that's one way that our book can help. I think often we have we don't teach our you know the role models that we all, that we all know are perhaps like George Washington. They're only white men, and our book is a starting point if you're just not sure where to go. I think with our girls, we teach them. I think we work on the language that we use with our girls. Um, often I hear with our girls, people say things like, be careful. Um, and to me, and I, I, I say this myself, but, and I say this to my daughter occasionally, I catch myself, but what we need to be telling them, this doesn't actually transmit any information, it just kind of means be afraid. So what we need to be telling them instead is, if you're at the top of the slide, hold on to the slide. And then you will get down safely. We need to be instilling that they can trust their own instincts and their own bodies. I think when it comes to our boys, we need to be encouraging them that it's okay to ask for a hug, it's okay to cry, it's okay to look for support, and it's okay to think of others. So it's kind of okay to be human. It's okay to be human, really, for, both, for, for our children, for our boys and our girls, it's okay to be human. You you make a really interesting point when you talk about the diversity mm-hmm. uh, that you sought to instill in the book. Yes. You say one of the first things we teach our children is about the colors of the rainbow, and then we don't talk about the colors of children, of people. Yes, I think we teach, you know, one of the very first things we teach them, like this is red, this is blue, and then, so, and then but then they look at people, and, and often I think um, as as parents of, of white children in particular, we have, we have a privilege that we, we don't necessarily say anything. We're silent. I think for children and families of color, they don't, they don't get that, cho- that choice. They often they have to. But for when we, as, as parents, particularly parents coming from a place of, of privilege, if we don't talk to our children about these different colors, that different humans come in, then they begin to think, I see these differences, but what is this big secret? Like, what is this that we're not talking about? Or if they do come from families, if they are, if they see that their skin tone is a different color than the, than the characters that they're seeing in stories, and I think they, then they begin to say, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my family? So I think for us, it was crucial that we, that we, that this is as much a book about race, I hope, as it is a book about feminism. And when you think about talking to infants, if you will, Mm -hmm. about race, I I think what I'm hearing you say is to acknowledge that race exists, that people are different colors, and and not really go much further into it. I mean, we are talking about babies. We are talking about babies, yes. I think we, that's, that is is our approach. to acknowledge that people come in different colors and people, you know, we talk about hair color, we talk about skin color. Um, and then beyond that, to just give examples. I think we don't, we don't try to dwell on it, but the book has examples of people with different skin colors that have done incredible things in their lives. And I think for this age group, that's, that's enough. I would actually tend to agree with you, and, and you're right. I mean, the the notion that um, we see color all around us except when it comes to people, or we acknowledge color all around us except when it comes to people, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It can be pretty confusing. I think it can be confusing, and then in the long run, I think it can be very damaging. Um, you know, if and particularly when when we're looking at books, 
and and those books don't have, you know those books don't show people that look differently and we're you know we see books of children and then it, and, it, and it, I think it's easy then to say for a child to make connections that we don't want them to make that there is some reason that they're not seeing um, children from different backgrounds. And not only do you um, show kids with with different colors, um, Mm -hmm. but you also show women with glasses. Yes, we do. I think that that's really important because for those little ones who are wearing glasses, how many times are they called called names because they're wearing glasses? Yes, well, I I think... I hope that the very littlest ones um, aren't aren't getting bullied yet, but but I think they can be. You know, I think we also we the, it starts a child's sense that they are different can start very early, and Absolutely. so we do. We have a baby with glasses, and we have adults with glasses too. And I think both of those, and we have women with glasses, and that is. I'm I'm so glad you picked up on that um, because I think that is something rare to see in books, but is is not rare in our human existence. Tell us about some of the other uh, baby feminists who you highlight in the book that folks may not be that aware of. And you're right, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is sort of a... Everybody kind of knows who she is. Particularly as we focus on the Supreme Court these days, yes. Um, well, I think we all have come from different experiences, so I, I, I would never assume who people do or don't know, but I think... Um, Malala Yousafzai is there, and she is an activist um, originally born in in Pakistan who has fought for um, educational opportunities for young girls around the world. She won the Nobel Peace Prize. She very unfortunately was attacked by the Taliban but survived, and her story, again, is one of beating these incredible odds. Um, We have Yoko Ono, who I think often is, in our cultural context, known best for her romantic partner, um, John Lennon, but we don't mention him um, because actually that is not what her work has been about. As her work on her own, she's one of the most influential conceptual artists of all time. So she is in our book, and um, I think, again, people aren't as familiar with, with her. And then Mae Jemison, who I mentioned before, who was the first woman of color in space. And you also mentioned uh, Gloria Steinem and Dorothy Pittman Hughes. And I think, you know, so many people hear Ms. Magazine, and particularly people of a different age, uh, of a particular age, and they equate Gloria Steinem with Ms. Magazine. But I'm not sure how many people equate Dorothy Pittman Hughes with Ms. Magazine. Yes, and and thank you for bringing her up also. Um, We love that page so much. So every page on our book has, an adult, and all of the pages except this one feature the, the adult faces. This little page has these two adult fists reaching into the sky from this iconic photo of Gloria Steinem together with Dorothy Pittman Hughes. And then you lift the flap and they turn into little baby fists. And we, our, our kids <laughs> love that. Um, and then you see, on, and on the last page, you do get to see Gloria and Dorothy. But absolutely, um, I think Gloria, and one of the reasons that we put her in the book was that um, from her early work as a feminist organizer, she saw the importance of uniting black women and white women and women from different racial backgrounds. And she, her work would not have been the same if it weren't for the 
relationships that she formed and the other women that she worked with. And one of those women who was so crucial was Dorothy Pittman Hughes. And it was the two of them that founded Ms. Magazine. And the two of them went around the country together and they and, it, and their their feminist activism has continued to this day. I think they're still good friends, and they, in fact, reenacted that iconic photo of them with their fists lifted um, recently. I think it, it might have been for Gloria's 80th birthday. Um, but their activism really has been intertwined for many, many decades now. And uh, in including Malele in, in, in the book, you've included someone who's very young. So again, it's an age range too that you depict in the in the book. Yes, absolutely. We really wanted to show. We we felt it was important to have figures that were more or less current. Um, and so we have on the one end Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Gloria Steinem and Dorothy Pittman Hughes in their 80s, and then Malala Yousafzai, who is um, was born in the 90s. So again, it's kind of a book that includes a little bit of everything and everyone tell you what we're going to take a break and when we come back we will continue with libby babbitt klein who along with jessica walker has created baby feminist it's a wonderful book folks i'm looking at it right now don't go away Libby, one of the things that I know that you as our parents, kind of in general, concerned about is teaching their children about okay touch and not okay touch. And you talk about the need to focus on consent, even with the littlest among us. Why is that important to you? Yes. Well, I think in the the Me Too era that we live in, so much of our national conversation right now is around consent and what is consent. And I think what we as parents can do is begin to talk about that with our very, very young children. I think our children do know from the time they're infants, um, certainly by the time they're babies, they know when they want and when they don't want to be touched. And so what we, what we talk a lot about is that we can ask them, um, certainly when their safety is in mind, pick your child up, <laughs> no questions asked. But often it's not, and I think often particularly adults that, are, that don't know our children, they don't quite know how to relate to them, and so it's easy to just poke or squeeze or hug a child. But the child is very uncomfortable. A child will say, no, I don't want to touch that person. No, stop. And I think it's very important for us to teach our children to listen to that, that inner feeling in their bodies and, their, and say, it's okay. You don't have no. You can say stop, and adults will ask before touching you. And I think that's, that's crucial that we teach it to them early because it's a very hard lesson to unlearn if we don't teach it to them early. I think if we, be, if we, we don't talk about it until our kids are, are teenagers, really, and then we say, no, 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 you need to be able to say no when you're in these situations with young men or older men if, or you know, when, for women asking them to say stop or to know to be comfortable with that. It's very hard if from the time they were infants we've been telling them to ignore that feeling. It, it sounds like, and you've said this certainly, that you really want parents, caregivers, people to be very mindful of the language that they uh, use with their children and, and to really be mindful of the nonverbal as well as the verbal uh, information that they pass along. 
that's right. Um, you know, and I think as I was as I was saying, adults frequently ask girls for a hug or a kiss, and these squeezes or tickles and touching. And our girls sometimes they love it. I mean, I, I think, and I certainly don't want to. I, I wrestle with my child. I hug her. I tickle her. You know, but then she'll say stop, and then I stop, and then she says more, mama. <laughs> It's called paying so attention to your child. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it's, you know, play and enjoy. But I think it is very important to, to, follow, to follow our children's cues and to teach them to listen to what they're feeling. Libby, how can people learn more about your book and the work you're doing? Our book, the, the best way to go is um, to look on Instagram. We are, I am on Instagram at Libby underscore BK, and our book is on Instagram at Baby Feminist. Um, we're also on Facebook, and our book has its own website, babyfeministbook.com. So there are lots of ways for people to be in touch. There are, and we check them all. <laughs> we are thrilled <laughs> to talk to people and um, love to hear what people think of our book and um, to, to continue this important conversation about feminism and young children. So... Just give us, repeat that, if you will, um, the, the ways that people can be in touch. Yes, it is. The website is babyfeministbook.com. And then we are also on Instagram. It's at babyfeminist. And I am on Instagram at Libby underscore BK. What's a first step? for a parent to take who's listening to our conversation right now and saying, oh, my goodness, I'm doing all the quote-unquote wrong things. I'm doing everything Libby said I shouldn't do. What do you want that parent to think about? First of all, I always want you to forgive yourself. We're all doing the best we can and um, in, a, in challenging times with our children. Then the next thing I really want you to think about is asking your child um, before you give them a hug, but most importantly, when your child is meeting new people, ask those people to ask your child, because your child is comfortable with you, but they're not comfortable with strangers. No one is. So giving your child the gift of choice that they have but may not know they have is something good. Is something so critical. Yes. You have spent much of your life, as I described earlier, working as an activist, you've had some political work that you've done. At what point do you believe a parent should introduce a child to his or her own political views, if at all? You know, I also think that it's never too early. We take our daughter with us to go to marches regularly. I think she... She probably went to her first, I guess she went to her first march before she was six months old. And I think That's early. she loves them. <laughs> That's early. She loves them. I think she sees that we're getting engaged. Marches, I think, in particular, are a really fun way to engage children because you can bring people and you can make signs. And then you can begin to have conversations about why are we all here together in whatever way it feels appropriate at that time. So it's never too early to start the political education as well. It's never too early, and I think whether or not we're speaking to our children about it or not, similar to, to race, they are, they are living in this world. The TV is probably on. The radio is on. Um, so when we're not engaging with them, we're also teaching them lessons. There are those who would say, I would like for my baby to be a baby. 
why am I talking to my baby or my little girl or even my, you know, my five, ten-year-old about these complicated things? I, I want to protect them. Oh, I want to protect them, too, <laughs> so much. <laughs> but I think the truth is we can't. I think as parents we get the opportunity to guide our children through the times that they live in and when we address the issues that surround us, then we get the opportunity to shape the narrative and to, to shape what they understand um, and to be able to address it in ways that are age-appropriate. I think when we don't talk about it, then we miss out on that opportunity, and then they only get those messages from other people. Indeed. Libby Babbitt-Klein, who along with Jessica Walker have created Baby Feminists, a Lift the Flap book. It's a wonderful book, folks. Libby, thank you so much for the work that you and Jessica have put into this book, the thought and the care that you've put into this book, and certainly thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. And folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other professional. You can always listen to Mind Talk on demand by going to mindtalk.org. That's M Y N D T A L K. Org. And I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today. So do send an email to me at Pamela at MindTalk.org. That's P-A-M-E-L-A. And again, it's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. You can let me know where you're listening from, any questions, any comments, any suggestions you may have for this or any other edition of Mind Talk. And just a reminder, we do have a weekly free giveaway. So I'm going to send you right back to that Mind Talk homepage, mindtalk.org, to get the information and to sign up. Uh, to participate in the free weekly giveaways. And folks, remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care. 